This is the High With Confidence podcast brought to you by people to you Welcome back to part two of our interview with John O'Rourke. If you didn't listen to part one, make time for it, as John provides insight as an Australian Grand Prix Corporation board member on the impact the recent international event has had for our local economy. I'm your host, Rebecca Miller, and on behalf of people to you we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Today's episode will focus on John and the Richmond Footy Club. Having just taken over the reins as club president, we look into John's immediate priorities and the impact both Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill have had on the wider club, plus a whole lot more. So let's get into it. First question, John, who's your favourite AFLW player and why is it me? <laughs> you're, you're right up there, Beck. No, that's, a, that's an honest answer as a foundation uh, tiger. But no, we've got, we've got a fantastic group of group yeah. of girls and, uh, you know, I, they're really going places, I think. So we're, the culture and the vibe around the, the club, I think, you know, it's, um, well, well I, I, I ask you, but we're obviously very proud of what our men have been able to achieve, but it seems to us that the the women have found a similar sort of connection, and uh, I think that's going to you know, take them places. And again, in a very tough competition, very even competition, and structurally, you know, set up to be uh, really sort of difficult to, to get up there and compete. Tigers are looking pretty good, I think. Twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. Yeah, list is good. We and we've kept our list together, which is great. Yeah, got a great core group together, yeah. which is awesome. And I think when the AFL announced a couple of weeks ago the McClellan Club yeah. champion, That's I, good. I it yeah. sparked my interest. I thought, oh, this is really interesting, and I can see our club sort of taking that out yeah. this year. I was particularly like the financial aspect <laughs> of it as well. That there's going to be a prize for the highest rank combined uh, men's and women's program with a a million dollars on offer for that so uh, we need every cent to um <laughs> no pressure then hey <laughs> there's a development coming hey john <laughs> yeah that's right that's right and firstly congratulations on being appointed as the new president of richmond football club late last year it's pretty exciting how did you feel when the board appointed you uh well i i felt good about it i mean i've been around the club for a long time so um I've been on the board since 2015, so I had a good understanding of it. I guess there was a little um, trepidation when you follow someone like Peggy O'Neill you know, into that role, and you see just how much she you know, devoted her, you know, herself to it. It's just extraordinary her sort of selfless commitment to the cause. So, but you know, I, f- I felt good about it mainly because the rest of our board has been so um, encouraging, and we have you know had such a good conversation about how do you transition from someone like Peggy, and um, it's very much a team. Effort, so I think the way we're going about it as a shared sort of responsibility is the is the right way to keep it all rolling. I'm enjoying it. I'm excited by it. I'm not sure how many heart stopping games I can get to, and, and <laughs> uh, whether I'll last the whole season, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But no, it's uh, the club's in a great place. So great to be a part of it. Well, we're excited to have you on board, and you know, you mentioned you've been on the board for a, quite a few years, but your affinity with Richmond started long before that when you were a little boy. Can you tell us? Your first memory of Richmond? Oh, my first memory would probably be, I can vaguely remember the 1969, that's just how old I am, but 1969, I was five years old and uh, I, I can remember us, I can remember listening to the grand final there and I had two older brothers who went to the game and you know came back pretty happy with uh, Tigers overcoming our traditional rival Carlton. I mean, we were all rusted on Tigers. My, my father grew up in 
suburbs of Richmond through the Depression and war years. So, you know, he we were always, as one of six kids, always going to be barracking for the Tigers. And through that period, we, we were a very successful club. So it was a great time to be growing up as a little kid. So I, I probably first started going to the footy in the early 70s and uh, it was a golden run. We thought it would last forever and it come 1982 onwards, it, it all stopped. Do you remember the radio? What was the radio? What sort of make and model? Or Do you remember that? Yeah, we had one of those you know, those big old um, wireless sort of radios. I think it was 3AW was the uh, broadcaster back in the day. But then the, then I can remember it came on the TV once the game ended and you could actually watch the presentation of the Cup and I've got vague memories of that. We get to watch a little more of it uh, <laughs> live uh, now, but yeah, that got the ball rolling. And were you a handy footballer at all? No, not really. No, no. I, I, short I, answer. I yeah, short answer. I played. I played and played in the amateurs, but I, you know, I, I was pretty slow. But I, you know, I love playing footy. My my brothers were quite handy amateur footballers, and uh, but no, I, I had to once I started university. You had to work through weekends to sort of make ends meet. So you know, my career was uh, very short lived. Probably, probably just as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, your father and uncle were pretty good footballers, though. Yes, so, so yeah, my dad played four games for Richmond in the early 50s and he, he then went to, he was pretty impatient, I think, from memory. He played under Jack Dyer, was coach, and he broke into the team as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old and then he had a good friend, his name is Bill Morris, who was a Richmond Brandlow medalist and oh, wow. he retired and decided to go coaching in the VFA for Box Hill. He said to my dad, oh, you, you, know, you won't make it under... Die, you should come across with me. And I think they both had a, an interest in horse racing and betting on football on a Saturday afternoon. So I think that was the bigger attraction for him. So he, uh, he jumped ship from Richmond to Box Hill after just uh, four games. Anyway, he, d- he didn't seem to ever re- regret that. He was happy enough to say that he played four games with the Tigers. But his brother, Jack, he played for a number of years through the 50s as, as a full forward and um, was cut down by injuries quite young. But he had, you know, he had quite a good, good career. There you go. What a rich family history, hey? <laughs> we did touch on you. You're the new president off the back of Peggy O'Neill. Having just taken over that role, what are some of your immediate priorities for the club? Elite performance is what we're about. We want to be successful on the field in men's and women's programs. So, you know, we everything we, we do is sort of geared around that as a priority. I think there's a lot of things we don't want to change. We think the club does so many things right from a board perspective. You know, we just want to set the same... I guess, measured, considered tone that was apparent under Peggy's leadership for so long. We want it to be a really welcoming place where you know we create the conditions for people to thrive. That's what, that's what our main role is now. You know, that's, I guess, a bit sort of high, high level, but it's just so important to you know, how, we, how we go about things as a club. Now, within that, you know, there are some strategic priorities. It's pretty difficult at the moment to sort of financially make ends meet all those sort of cost of living pressures that we're that we're finding are apparent there are constraints we've got a difficult draw commercially this year we don't have the blockbusters that expect to have and we, we will have through the cycle but you know in the short term it's a pretty tough environment at club level to sort of make ends meet and cover your football department expenditures so we're pretty attuned to that but the biggest strategic priority is the redevelopment of Punt Road Oval. You know, I know the women's program is is very excited about what needs to happen there, and that's a big part of what we're doing. But it's the big the bigger picture, and we've been working at it for 
with Brendan and the team for the last five or six years is thinking about Punt Road is the you know it's a spiritual home mm-hmm. of Richmond. You know, Beck, how what an attraction it is for players to have a facility in that location yeah. on the doorstep of the MCG in a city. It's unrivaled. It's great unrivaled. vibe, but it it is it, it's a very constrained site that we have. You know, our view is you know, we could we we could have looked at doing things out in the suburbs and multiple ovals, and it was pretty quick decision to say that's you know we want we want to do as best as we can here and yes we'll have to put up with some of the constraints of being in a small place but how do we just absolutely optimize it to the best of our ability so you know there's benefits there from bringing the women's program up to standard delivering an mcg sized oval we think it's really important for our long-term future there our community programs which you know, as the club's been successful, the community programs have been successful. Makes our club better, but all of those programs are a victim of their success. In that, the as, as you know, the whole place is uh, you know it's rocking, it's busy, bursting at the seams. It's bursting at the seams. So, it's how do we accommodate all of these things in the right in the right way? So, uh, that's what the redevelopment plan is going to do. But you know, it's 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 expensive and it's it's challenging. But we're through planning approval for it. We're now on a fundraising task to sort of make the numbers stack up and make sure we can afford to take the risk as a club to invest in that way. So that's that's a huge priority throughout you know, through the next two to three years is to is to get to the end of that. Hopefully you'll still be playing then. That's right. I need you, to hold we, on we, and you get as many games I like can and yeah. see it out till you the redevelopment. Would, reap the benefits back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> three more years I can do it. <laughs> you can do it. You touched on um three years there, John. It's obviously um quite a significant project where you're gonna have staff um that are probably gonna have to be off site, relocated, I'd imagine. How do you maintain that connection that the club is um famous for now, that culture and the connection? Uh, whilst also maintaining the high performance standards that you spoke about, like how do you do that with the physical challenges of maybe not being together for the next three years? Yeah, no, it's a very good question, Ben. And you know, the team's thinking really hard about how we can put the pieces together to make it as least disruptive as possible. We we actually think there is a way where we can um, maintain most people still being on site. You know, there's going to be some logistical exercises and diary management I guess around making sure that that works but you know we've got portable solutions been happening for staff already on site so we continue to do that there may be some need through construction for for looking at some programs to be done off shot for a short period of time but on the whole we're seeing um, we're, we're maintaining the um, Swinburne Centre as it currently exists and there's a plan to sort of move into the social room spaces of, of that for staff through the construction's Phase. So we'll be down on sort of um, meeting space and sh- social sp- space, but we'll still be able to be there on uh, on site. So that's the core of the plan. The men's program can continue pretty much unaffected. It's the it's the oval redevelopment that's uh, you know it's one we have to work through. What's the optimum time to get in, reshape that oval, relay it, and not miss too much training for either uh, men's or women's programs a tough job. I don't envy you, John. <laughs> we'll get there. So, John, just on the um, topic of organisational transformation, um, you are on the board in 2016 where there was a perception that the club uh, was in turmoil and that there was a lot of um, trouble and disconnection behind the scenes. Can you tell me a bit about that time and what the club did to stay strong, stay together, come through the other side and have a very successful period with the men's program, the introduction of the women's program around the same sort of time? What are some of the key learnings that external companies can take away from what Richmond's been able to achieve? 
you know, I was around there in 2016, and it was a you know very difficult on-field year for the men's program. But you know, people ask that question about disaster and what what are you going to do and you know, how did you get through it all. But it, you know, behind the scenes, it actually wasn't. When I think back about it, from a at least from a board perspective, you know, the fa- the foundations I think of what made us a good club was started five years before that or even you know uh, seven years before that really when when you think about key leaders coming into the club like Damien Hardwick, Brendan Gale, Blair Hartley coming with Damien in terms of list management and those people were put into their roles and I think a credit to the board back in the day was okay we're, we're here now to do things differently at Richmond where we're going to stay the course you know, we're going to put people in place and we're going to back them to see things through. And we were coming from a, you know, off a very low base, both on and off the field through that sort of 2000 and period in 2009-10. So, and we knew that it wasn't going to be easy to sort of get back up there and, and we were going to have hiccups along the way and, and work through them. And we were on a good trajectory through 13, 14 and 15. And the board's perspective was things were tracking, but when things didn't go well on the field in 16 there wasn't the panic there was external noise around you know you're going to do what Richmond has historically did through the 70s 80s 90s and 2000s and sack everyone and you know, upend everything and it was never going to be like that you know yes reviews were done to see well what what's happened and how can we continue to get better and, and improve but I, I really credit Brendan and Peggy and those you know from just saying we're staying the course and how do we help the um the coaches, the development team and the players to reset themselves and you know, I think the main thing, observation I make and it was you know, it's not, nothing to do with the board or it was just looking at the way the players sat down and said, you know, we've had a, a hiccup here but how, do, how are we going to reset ourselves and this whole connection piece came into it where too much focus I think in that year was around um, we've got weaknesses and how are we going to address them and not enough was on what are we doing well, yes, accepting those vulnerabilities that we may have, but let's focus on our strengths and the mindset sort of turnaround, you know, was quite extraordinary. But, you know, as I say, built on the back of a number of years of good success, good development, good coaching, good players, good people, and they they turned it around themselves in 2017, and it all happened pretty quickly. And from board perspective, we just sat back and enjoyed it like, like all of our supporters did so long long answer to your uh question i guess around 2016 but I, I i just see it as a much longer game than that and you know thank thankfully you know richmond stayed the course all the way through perfect and when i first got to richmond in 2019 it only took me a few weeks to realize richmond footy club is a club full of good people first good footballers second for those people who haven't been inside our four walls how would you describe the fabric of the footy club yeah, no, that's a great question, Beg. Yeah, it is, it is a unique place. I mean, this this sort of purpose of connecting to thrive and win. I, you know, I think it's very, very real that people do have a care factor. We had a function for um, tigers in property, so those supporters who are involved in the property industry. And uh, Robbie Tarrant came along and spoke, and he got asked this very question as a new player, well, older player, who spent a long career at North Melbourne, and then you know, in the latter part of his career, came into the Richmond system last year and I said well what you know how have you found it what's the difference what's the culture and he said I I've come in thinking I'm coming into this powerhouse successful driven club with a hundred thousand members and and he said I'm just amazed that I feel like I've come into a big old country town football club 
that's what it's like. You know, everyone's just got each other's backs. They have great yeah. fun. The journey is really enjoyable. You know, so I think that's that's the credit to all those leaders through all those um, coaching development staff. Brendan, that's the vibe they give. And, and the players embraced it. Our leadership group has embraced it. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's a competitive advantage, you know, that we can, we can, we can hang on to for as, uh, as long as possible. I agree. And I feel fortunate to work at Richmond Footy Club. I'm sure Ben uh, feels fortunate to have had seven years there. Yes, very lucky. It was very lucky. Finally, from my perspective, John, am I allowed to ask you about uh, Brendan Gale? You've uh, obviously got one of the, the great leaders in football, but not only football, in Australian sport and in Australia in general. So can you tell us about Brendan's influence? And uh, yeah, are we going to be lucky enough to see him staying at Richmond long term, do you think? Well, you may as well ask me because everyone else has. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've given the same answer to everyone. That is, I have no insight whatsoever into the process that the AFL is running. It's obviously gone on for a hell of a long time. You know, Brendan's publicly declared and has been open with the board to say he's in that process and he's an outstanding CEO and I think he'd be an outstanding AFL CEO but I think he'd do well at whatever he did whether he in business or any any purpose that he wanted to pursue so I think from a club perspective we'll just see how that plays out we, we just want what's best for Brendan and comes back to I think to one of your earlier comments Beck what's what's good for the person will end up being the best thing for the club as well so uh, we just sort of follow that through but for the time being Brendan's so passionate about the Tigers and you know he's got lots of projects the redevelopment's a big project for him I'm sure he would love to see that project through so yes that process can go on and we just you know see how it plays out in coming weeks. Great answer John (laughs) great answer. (laughs) Employee well-being is, is a huge I guess buzz topic in today's society. What are some strategies you use in your busy life to maintain a work-life balance? Yeah, no, it's a, it is a big issue. It's a big issue across the plenary business, and our team, is, our executive team, is really spending a lot of time in thinking about. You know, we're, and we're in some really robust processes that are at risk of burning people out and pushing people too hard. And people are more aware of the importance of their well-being as well compared to even when we started 20 years ago. We were pretty pretty driven and would sort of burn the candle at, at both ends and just keep going and you know probably to our detriment in some respects so we're acutely aware of what we need to do to be working with people to make them better all of that said I'm probably the worst proponent of it in, in the <laughs> in the world in that I, I do find it difficult to switch off but um with sort of multiple things going on outside of the businesses as well I mean I like to exercise I try and do something each morning which is just about sort of breaking even for the day against what I'm going to eat and drink and all the events we have to go to and so trying to have that balance and uh, yeah. Now you obviously have a hell of a lot going on and in Melbourne we love our coffee. Do you have a daily coffee order? I do. I have multiple daily coffee orders, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm just a skinny flat white sort of guy. I just get up, do some exercise first and then I'm into it. Then I'll probably have a a second one late morning, probably have one after we finish this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Love your work. Well, John, that's all from us. But Ben and I, on behalf of people to you, want to say thank you very much for your time and your expertise. And yeah, it's been great speaking today. So thanks for coming on. Great to see you. Thanks, Beck. Thanks, Ben. Great to catch up, John. Cheers. You're a busy person. So thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you. If you liked it, why not share it with your mates? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We have some brilliant guests coming up that you won't want to miss. People to you. People for here. There, anywhere.